Welcome to episode 133 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, we're really just going to be focusing on the uh, movie section here. Christian and I both watched Willy's Wonderland for this week's movie, and then we both happened to see the somewhat newly released Moonfall, and then there was Movie Pass News uh, <laughs> this week, which is crazy, coming back from the dead, uh, much like the yeah. Willy Wonderland's characters. <laughs> All right, first, Christian, you and I both watched Willy's Wonderland, which was your pick for this week, and I, I am not going to bury the lead. This is maybe one of my favorite movies that we've done on the podcast. <laughs> um, this is this was originally supposed to come out in, I think, October of 2020. Its theatrical release got nixed because of COVID, so uh, which I actually think is a shame. I think this would have been one of those like hype movies to go see because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, but right now it's on Hulu to watch, and I don't know. Do you want to give the premise of this one? Yeah, so the premise is just essentially Nicolas Cage's character is kind of like coerced slash hired to clean an old like Chuck E. Cheese ripoff for a night in exchange for getting his car fixed. And all of the like animatronic mascot characters are possessed by serial killers i guess or like a gang of serial killers and so they come to life and like take human sacrifices that the town provides for them and then he just beats the crap out of all of them yeah without uttering a word so this this uh actually i guess is getting a comic book prequel series so they're they're like each of the killers or animatronics is getting a an issue to explain their background, which I think is hilarious because cool. they don't explain these characters at all other than it's a band of serial killers. Right. And an interesting piece of trivia on this is Nick Cage literally has no speaking lines in this movie. He, yep, not a one. I honestly think he made maybe three facial expressions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this sounds about right. One of my notes was... In the beginning, I was like, oh, I think it's hilarious. Nick Cage isn't going to be speaking. I have to imagine. I was like, he's just going to be making a lot of, like, ridiculous faces. Mm. Not at all. Just deadpan, like, stoic the entire time. Completely except for the pinball. Right, except for when he's playing pinball. Oh, God, yeah, that came out of left field. Uh, yeah, the pinball dance, I guess, he entirely improvised. <laughs> Which is hilarious. He was also the producer on this. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> So I want to ask you, Christian, normally I feel like we aren't a fan of exposition dumps, and this movie has three exposition dumps. <laughs> yeah, the not entirely unwelcome in this case. Like, it gave me kind of just enough information that I was like, okay, I can I can groove to this. Like I don't I don't need a whole lot of backstory about why Nicolas Cage is like beating up animatronic robots. It's just kind of like it is what it is. No, <laughs> so I do I, like <laughs> It, I was I was honestly kind of fine with the way it was like, yeah, this is why it's happening. And I was like, all right, well, back to it. This movie, it's funny because, like, this movie isn't a parody, but it it's in the same vein. Like, it's a ridiculous premise, and they take it seriously. Yeah, deadly serious. Right, which makes it amazing. And then, like, these exposition dumps, I feel, you know, I th- generally I think they're bad. But in a movie like this, they make total sense because crappy movies like this have exposition dumps. And yeah. these exposition dumps make no sense. Like, the entire town was afraid of eight animatronics that 
one of the characters that wasn't Nick Cage beat the crap out of with the butt of a gun. So, like, they're totally beatable. Oh, yeah. That was, like, they were so excited at the end when they were like, holy crap, it's over. Like, yo, how small was this town that you couldn't have just walked in there and rounded up eight little robots? Yeah, like, Willie hangs out there. Like, they don't hide. They could have just went in there <laughs> guns blazing and taken them right. out. <laughs> these these creatures were eminently beatable, and like Nick Cage had taken out four of them, and the sheriff handcuffs him and is like, "Willie, this isn't our fault. Uh, you know, <laughs> you finish him." And it's just like he already took he took out half of their force, and you're still scared <laughs> of them. The yeah, sheriff, I mean, I had I had in my notes like he well that ostrich is the first one to come up. <laughs> And he steps to that ostrich like it's just some guy. Like, he's not phased at all by the fact that this animatronic mascot has, like, walked itself over to him and is squaring up for a fight and says something like, I'm going to eat your face off or something. And he just steps up to it like it's like some dude at the bar. Beats the absolute rash out of it. Like, rips it to pieces with his bare hands. If I'm any of those other little machines, I'm I'm done. Like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to stay completely still for the rest of the night and let him go. Right, like, and it's funny because I think this movie sort of bills itself a little bit as, like, a comedy horror movie, but it's like an action movie because in a horror movie, when that ostrich appears, there's, like, a jump scare that you would normally get, right? Yeah. And this one, it's just like there, Nick Cage stares at it and just starts dodging its attacks like the Matrix. <laughs> Could you imagine being on set with some of these though? It's like, all right, Nick, uh, you're yeah. just going to have to beat the crap out of this puppet. So it's just like everyone's sitting there yeah. watching him punch stuffed animals. <laughs> like some of the machines were like pretty creepy. I will say the one that was in the vents, that one scared me. Oh, the, al- the like, alligator? Crocodile, yeah. Crocodile, yeah. When it- when it like poked its head around the corner, I was like, "All right, well, it's up there with her." And then there was kind of like a jump scare where she turned around and it was like, I guess I don't I don't know what you would say like super fast like crawling towards her in the vent, and I was like, "Ooh, yeah, I don't like that. That's creepy." It's funny because when this like so there's an entire other set of cast. Like I guess I should point out that this movie is Nick Cage and a bunch of other people I've never heard of. <laughs> When they brought in, like, all the kids who were trying to, like, save Nick Cage because they knew this was a bad place, I was like, oh, these people were entirely brought in because the studio didn't think a movie could just be 90 minutes of Nick Cage fighting puppets. Uh, So they needed actual, like, horror elements, and they were wrong. Like, it should have been all Nick Cage fighting puppets. Yeah, they had to pepper in a little bit of human drama. I do like that the one girl, uh, one of my, I think my favorite scene in the movie is like all the kids are dead except like the co-lead girl and she's like with the chameleon and Nick Cage like squares up, they're like ready to beat the crap out of it and his watch goes off and he's like, oh, I gotta go take my break and he just leaves. He hands her the switchblade and just goes. Yeah, like, goes to play pinball. Like, uh, I can't remember this guy's name. I want to call him Ted Dimidome from like Fairly Odd Parents because he had like this... <laughs> Yes. Very weird name. Like, you know, intentionally just like hokey name. But he's like, you gotta take breaks. And like, Nick Cage is like religious about it, where it's like the middle stuff. He just goes and does it. And like, the little things like that is what won me over with this movie. Well, he was dedicated to his craft, man. Between every, like, the the monster robots would attack like every, like, maybe 45 minutes or something. (laughs) But between each attack, he was 
not bothering them at all. Like, they were still up on stage. He didn't go, like, take care of them. It was a very, like, won't start nothing, won't be nothing. As long as you stay up there, I'm going to leave you alone. And in that, like, interstitial space, he was just cleaning. <laughs> He's a man of his word. Like, he literally yeah. cleaned the entire space, uh, even though, you know, they he got the Ronda that deal. <laughs> it looked great at the end. Yeah, I I will say, what solution was he using? Because he used some solution in a bottle to take spray paint off of the wall, which... Yeah. There was a point at the beginning where I... It seemed like he was making no progress. Like, he was spraying the one painting, <laughs> yes. or whatever it was, and it was just kind of doing nothing. And he, like, mopped the floor, and it was like it was just a dry mop that he was just kind of rubbing around. <laughs> there was there was no, like, nice streak of, like, clean left behind. It was just him doing, like, busy work. Dude. And, like, I, I said, at one point I was like, honestly, this seems like it would be a relaxing job. Like, to be like, here's, like, maybe not in one night, but be like, here's a week just go through and clean out this like derelict Chuck E. Cheese and make it look nice again. Like, I think that would be be all right. Kind of just slowly <laughs> methodically go through and And then he went into the bathroom and I was like, Oh yeah, no, I wouldn't want to, I won't want to clean in here. I will, I will say for me, the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was like, Oh God, this movie's going to be terrible. Uh, <laughs> the 21 minute, like literally I paused it and then texted you the 21 minute mark is when the ostrich appears. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> So that's why I know, like, tw- 21 minutes and it's, I'm like, I'm in. But, like, a lot of my notes in the first part of this were like, this makes no sense. So, like, I'm with you on the cleaning. He was, like, mopping and there's still trash on the floor. And I was like, the oper- like his order of operations on this is offending me. The, right. The only thing that he, like, actually made any progress on, like, before he started killing the animatronics was the kitchen. Like, he fully cleaned the kitchen quickly and then, like, this pinball machine. And, like, that's all that's the progress he seemed to make. He curb-stomped that gorilla into the urinal. I was like, I wanted him to give the gorilla a swirly. I was like, please do it. The <laughs> curb-stomp was a good second, though. That was crazy. The puppet deaths on, there, on this are, like, very violent. <laughs> yeah, and they, like, squirt oil everywhere, so it's like there's blood coming out. Yeah, they remind I me of... I also like that... Sorry. His his solution to every one of his injuries was to duct tape it. So after he fights that ostrich the first time, he's just got a small piece of duct tape on his like face the entire way through the movie. And then he did he break his ribs and I didn't get that one after the grill. He just like wrapped duct tape around himself. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I will say though this again the first twenty minutes of this I didn't love. A couple of my notes here. This movie looks really cheaply made. I guess I, have, <laughs> I won't get another budget, but it. It didn't seem like their budget. Like to me, it looked like a YouTube video with a filter that made no sense. And I don't know if you thought that, but like it was so orange, like, like comically yeah. orange. I agree with that. But they really, they, they really reined it in. This reminded me a little bit of a western. Like he's a the character that comes into town and basically cleans up their mess. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say anything extremely stoic, but like after he killed each animatronic, he would just like chop up their bodies, put them in a bag, and just stare down Willie, who, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Willie's like the head weasel uh, character in this. It was just like, man, this is so great. I did, yeah, I, I really liked that it. it was just kind of methodically stacking the robot corpses at the door until somebody got the chains off. It seemed like Nick Nick Cage and the the girl lead were the only two people in this movie who made like had any sort of sense though because like 
Everyone else was terrified of these robots except the kids who went and had sex in the robot room that they know people die in. That was so weird. I mean, I guess it's it's just like maybe like a, a tongue-in-cheek poke at a horror movie trope. Right. They're like, well, we know there's something out here murdering us. Time to go do this. But yeah, that was, that was so strange. They're like, let's put on a show for the animatronics that are killing everybody. Like, okay, whatever. Especially it's like they knew that these things were killing them. It wasn't like, oh, we don't believe it. The guy and the girl, the guy who was with the girl was like, I don't want to go in here. We'll die. And as soon as they got in, he's like, okay, let's go bang. <laughs> yeah, he was the one that was most opposed to the situation. He should have been the last one to agree to this. Yeah, I I think it was smart of them, though, to bring in just a lot of fodder because they brought in like six or seven kids or whatever. And yeah. uh, that song that the Willy's Wonderland band sang, I thought it was pretty funny. It was like six little chickens and how they're like picking them off. I think it's funny they did not include Nick Cage in that count. They're like, we know we can't take him. <laughs> I did not like the singing. I was not a fan of the music just in general, especially during the Willy fight at the end. Because it was like so slowed and distorted, I was like, ah, this is tough to listen to. <laughs> I think it fit the. I mean, I don't think it's good music. But I feel like it fit the movie and the scenes. Yeah. Though. No, I mean, it definitely set the mood. I just didn't. <laughs> I was not a, a fan of that in particular. I, I was just kind of like, oh, this. Yeah, this is. I get it. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I also did you pick up on the fact that Nick Cage keggled one of the animatronics to death and that while could because they handcuffed him they had to depower him some way but then after he did that he just ripped out of his handcuffs <laughs> like he didn't need to do that at all yeah that was the that was like the tinkerbell or the siren or whatever it was yeah did she survive this i could not I tell i think she gets blown up with the car Okay, that's so the one thing I couldn't figure out because, like, there is an explosion, but it wasn't like the other ones that we see them just get completely torn apart. I was happy that they addressed, I, I don't know if it was the alligator or the turtle or whatever it was at the end. The Spanish where, turtle. <laughs> yeah, where it was on the car with her and the other cop, and then she kind of beat the crap out of it and left. And I, I remember thinking, ooh, I don't think that was enough to kill that thing. It was just, like, you, you could get away, sure, but I bet it, it's probably still out there, and then, yeah, they saw it walking down the road, and he <laughs> burned through it on his car. Oh, man. I also really enjoyed that after the the siren blew up the, the two guys' car outside of Willie's, for some reason, even though he was, like, ten miles away and facing the other direction, they reflected the explosion in Nick Cage's sunglasses. <laughs> and so you just saw, like, fire kind of flowing through his sunglasses, and I had a moment where I was like... Is he going to turn into Ghost Rider? That would be a, a crossover we we needed. Like, that's why he was ha having no trouble killing all these things. Like, he is the immortal Ghost Rider. I, I do think it's fun. I mean, just sorry to get back on, like, the, this town. This town was big enough that, like, the Willy's Wonderland creatures were going out into it. And, like, they killed people in schools and stuff. And, like, their entire plan was to have like a, the tow truck driver of the town the sheriff of the town and a a business owner like hash out the deals <laughs> to save the town it was very i don't know where where do you think this is set middle midwest middle of nowhere is my guess yeah this felt very kind of like midwest gothic i did think like the beginning too on this like they really highlighted Nick Cage does not talk because the tow truck driver did not shut up for his entire <laughs> scene. 
I'm I'm so happy that he did not have a single line. Like, I I think it would have been funny if at the end he was he said something like kind of offhanded, like in the last sequence or something, like uh, like damn puppets or something. But I like it would have been so easy to make that choice, and it would have been funny. But I feel like it would have cheapened it. The fact that he has absolutely zero lines in this is it just makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, I I think it's smart that he never says anything. Um, what also, I guess, one thing we didn't address is this is a Five Night of Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff, right? Like this is Five Nights at Freddy minus the character beating the crap out of the Five <laughs> Nights at Freddy's like characters, right? Yeah, because Five Nights at Freddy. If you, if you're listening, you don't know it's a game that became really popular in I don't know like the 2010 sometime, where. The premise of the game is you as a character are hired to um, be a security guard at this abandoned Chuck E. Cheese style place. And the gameplay is you have to look at these different cameras and I can't remember if like like the animatronics are trying to get to your room to kill you and if you look at the cameras in the right order or whatever like they can't go by it because they can't move when you're looking at them or something. And so mm. the whole point of the, the game is I think you have to survive like seven days and it progressively gets harder. And so that, that's, I mean, the premise of this other than your Nick Cage is not afraid of them, but it's very similar <laughs> premise. And there's also like a Five Nights at Freddy movie being made, which is also going to be very similar to this one to some yeah. extent. Like when you're explaining it, it's like, oh yeah, animatronics come to life and attack a guy at night. Like that's, those are the same movies. <laughs> I'm calling it though. This is going to be the better adaptation or the better version of it. You're probably right. I had a blast with this. This was a lot. Like I remember seeing the trailer for it when it was first coming out and thinking like, "Oh man, this is absolutely insane." But when I saw it was on Hulu the other day, I was very excited and I'm I'm glad we watched it cuz it was very fun. What this is to me is basically what I wished Cooties was when we watched it where it's like a ridiculous premise. Oh man, I remember that movie. Yeah, and like, I, like Cooties didn't execute it well. Like they, it was too tongue in cheek or something. Or like, I, I don't know. Like this one, they, I think they like hit on the premise where it's like they took it serious. They knew it was ridiculous, but they hit the tone just right. Like I don't want to say it's like Shaun of the Dead because Shaun of the Dead's clearly a spoof and more of a comedy, but it's mm-hmm. like it it works in a way that other horror comedies don't work. And like this one, I think. You know, it tells the fine line of being like a ridiculous comedy with horror tropes. It, it, like it, it works in ways that some of the other movies we watch for the podcast haven't. Yeah, I mean, horror comedy is a hard combo to pull off. Right. I've not seen that many that have done it successfully. Yeah, and like like this one, I don't like this. Just I I was I went into this fully expecting to hate this movie. Honestly, <laughs> like you picked this, I was like, oh man, this is just going to be like a crappy horror movie. And then like what I get, so maybe like my expectations were so low that I was like blown away by how much I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know, but like this, I think this is a re- was a really well done like movie. Yeah, I was pleased. Christian, do you know what the budget on this was? Yeah, so the budget was, I mean, not that cheap. It was $5 million. Right, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and uh, I mean, maybe they were all real animatronics. <laughs> they got the Jurassic Park guy in to, to make all the characters. Um, no, but the box office then was only 445000 so not even a tenth of its budget. 
But I, I feel like this had a real limited release. Like, I know this didn't come to our theater. Right. I mean, and again, this was supposed to come out in October 2020 when every theater was shut down. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it makes back its five million budget or not pre-COVID, but its numbers are hamstrung a little at, at the very least a little bit by COVID. This feels to me like a movie that would have a terrible opening weekend. But then it's week two would be like blowing the doors off the place. Right. Like, this, like no, yeah, nobody's going to come see this based on the trailer, except, you know, like the people that are like, holy crap, this looks insane. But then I, I feel like over that next like five days, word of mouth is going to be crazy from the people that saw it. I, I, I do think I yeah, I don't know if it makes five mil, but I feel like it's it's going to like maybe triple opening weekend on week two. Right, like I think it at least gets a, some sort of cult following or word of mouth to get get some buzz. Yeah, because it's this would have been a fun movie theater movie. Oh yeah. Uh, so the ones sorry. the ones that make me laugh are the opposite of that. You can always tell how a you like a studio expects a movie to do based on like the blitz of marketing. So like we'll get movies at the theater where it will have like four posters and three cardboard standees and a whole bunch of merchandise and all this stuff like put up all around. And I look at that and I'm like, Oh, this movie's bad. Yeah. Do you, do you have a lot like, of that for this Jennifer Lopez or whatever the, the romantic comedy that just came out is Eric, I'm going to be honest. I watched that movie last <laughs> night. Is it good? It's not bad. <laughs> oh boy. That movie, I thought it looked terrible. I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for certain kinds of movies. But no, like I remember, I think it was like the last Ice Age movie. We had so much merch all over the building. And you just looked at it, and to me it was like, they are desperate to get as many people in the door in week one before word of mouth gets out that this is not a good movie. Like, uh, they need to make all their money immediately. This is totally unrelated, but thinking of bad movies I've seen come to our theaters, did you guys get the one about like King Louis or someone trapping a mermaid? No. Okay. I didn't go see it. It looked terrible, but I was like... Sounds awesome. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it would have turned out well, Christian. No, I'm sure. Uh, so, I mean, we obviously like this one, I think, but the the critics on this one actually was were pretty positive on it, too. On Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score on this was 61%, and the audience score was a 68%, which, again, I think it should be higher, but I'm surprised yeah. that the critics liked it as much as they did i'm surprised at both of those numbers in opposite directions like i i do think the critic score i'm shocked it's not lower and i'm really surprised the audience score isn't like up in the 80s i really thought that this would be a movie that like the people on rotten tomatoes were really kind of like latched onto yeah uh so christian would you recommend our audience check this one out yeah if you don't mind kind of like i mean i guess gore like the there, I mean, what, kids, a, a human is cut in half at one point by Will. Yeah, <laughs> but even like that's not like it's not gratuitous in no, like a it's like a bad way. It's 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 like SNL yeah. someone getting cut in half. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's a very clean cut, and then you get like a quick spurt of blood on Nicolas Cage, and that's kind of it. And like the the quote unquote gore in the movie is all like motor oil coming out of the puppet, so it's really. It's there's really not that much human carnage in this, so I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you if you can't handle kind of light gore, then probably not. But otherwise, like, the, yeah, I had a blast with this. The gore in this reminds me. Do you did you watch Samurai Jack? 
Yeah, it reminds me of the first like three part episode they have where he fights like a million beetles and they have this slow motion scene of him just like cutting them in half and all of their oil and stuff spilling everywhere. Like that's the amount of gore this is with the animatronics. Yes. I, I would also suggest our audience check this out. Like this is maybe one of my favorite movies we've like randomly picked to watch on the podcast. Like I, <laughs> I, I will put this movie on my rotation of things to watch probably in Halloween, like over Halloween or something like I really enjoy this movie. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. This would be a, like a good, like regular October movie. If, uh, you know, if you think it was smart, it was supposed to originally come out for Halloween. Like they had, they had it right originally before COVID. <laughs> if, if everything we've talked about sounds like it doesn't interest you, then you will not like it. Like, you know, like this movie is very upfront what it is. It's Nick Cage fighting puppets and it like makes you sound excited. Like definitely check it out then. So I'm, I'm also going to pitch something real quick that it feels like this same kind of vibe. There's a movie coming out this week called Studio 666. Have you seen anything for this? No. It is it one of the crazier premises that I've heard for a movie recently. Uh, the Foo Fighters, the band, are like, they move into a mansion outside LA, I think it is, and it has like a history of murder attached to it. And so then they're like, they're trying to record their new studio album in this like haunted mansion while having to deal with like ghosts and poltergeists and stuff. Oh my god, that also sounds kind of awesome. Is it like done in? Is it an actual horror movie? I think so. Yeah, that's it's funny. it's built on IMDb again as a comedy horror, so we'll see. But like, it has like the whole like the actual Foo Fighters in it. It's unfortunately not playing at our. I just looked it up at our theater this week. Maybe we'll get it someday. I don't know. You can always come here. We're getting it. That's crazy. You're getting it. Like we have two theaters in town, and neither of them are getting it. I yeah. So I just talked to the owner today about it. Actually, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm super excited for it." And one of the other managers is super excited for it. But I I haven't seen it advertised really anywhere but at our theater. So I wouldn't be surprised if the owner like called the studio specifically and was like, "We want this." Uh, yeah, maybe that makes sense. <laughs> Our theater like was replaying Dune recently. Like they're just getting old, old like nice. not old, but you know movies that have already gone to video and stuff. Yeah, we brought Venom two back a couple of weeks ago. All right, Christian, you and I both happened to see Moonfall in theaters over the past two weeks. Um, yes, this is a movie which. I either wish I had gone to see a second showing of or I had been able to take notes during it because so much happens in this that this I, is... I've forgotten in the like the week I've watched since I've watched it. Well, I'm happy to remind you. This is five sci-fi movies that have been like blended into one. It's absolutely deranged. <laughs> I I said at the beginning of the Willy's Wonderland movie that we should do that one first because I've only seen it once and the implication was that I have seen Moonfall more than once and I have. I watched it two days in a row, <laughs> two weekends ago. I went opening Saturday and Sunday. Oh my god, I I can't get this movie out of my head. I love it so much. I I honestly would not have watched this if you weren't like this is a great bad movie because <laughs> uh, I was set to go watch Jackass and then I got sick and wasn't able to end up going and I ended up going <laughs> see a movie later in the week and I was like yeah Christian like really talked this one up we'll go see this one instead and. Uh, 
boy, it's like one of the best bad movies I've seen in a while. Like, it's incredible. People come in and they ask, like, oh, how's Moonfall? How is it? And I've been telling people that it is terrible in so many fun and exciting ways. Every 30 minutes-ish of the movie is a different genre, which is, like, a feat. Like, a quarter of this movie is just Greenland, which is crazy. Yes. Yeah, it took all the decent parts of Greenland and got rid of all the bad parts. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> and added more moon. Yeah. Oh, of course. Christian, what is the premise of Moonfall? All right. So I'm going to read the plot as I wrote it down in, in my note because it really, truly feels like the ramblings of a deranged lunatic. <laughs> but uh, so Patrick Wilson is fired for being a bad astronaut after his friend is murdered by an alien artificial intelligence which then burrows into the moon to try to kill its power core because the moon is a megastructure built by ancient humans from another planet and has a white dwarf star inside of it. And so then the moon starts to fall down and Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry and Sam from Game of Thrones have to go up into space and reboot the moon. This plot is brought to you by like a 13-year-old who is really excited about science but also is not good at writing. Yeah, and like... Really excited about science, but in a way where it's very obvious that they don't know anything about anything. Yeah, like, they, they were on, like, the conspiracy subreddit before it became just, like, alt-right stuff. Thought it was a textbook. Yeah. Oh, my God, Christian. The first thing in this that I was just like, oh, we are in for a treat is they f- they fired this astronaut for negligence. <laughs> Because by because they said his crewmate was hit by an asteroid, <laughs> which makes like, that's his fault. Right? Like, they're like it was negligence, and then he like landed a space shuttle with no electronics, and they're like we fired him for negligence, and everyone's like yeah that checks out. Like yeah. what? Because it's the 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 newscast that they show is crazed because it's like oh it's the like congressional hearing or whatever for astronaut hero patrick wilson who landed the space shuttle with no power and saved halle berry's life and they're gonna fire him because he's terrible at his job right and it's just like isn't like wouldn't ground control be the ones who are at fault for not noticing a asteroid (laughs) like i could get it if they're like oh we had to fire him to shut him up and like make him seem like a lunatic or whatever but, like, the reasoning for it was just so terrible. And they were also like, oh, but an asteroid couldn't have taken out all the electronics on the space shuttle, so a solar flare must have hit at the same time. It also his fault. Yeah, also, also Patrick Wilson's fault. Oh, well, it only gets worse from there. Yeah, I mean, worse or better. Like, <laughs> Roland Emmerich directed this movie, and anyone familiar with Roland Emmerich's uh, kind of opus is already kind of knows what you're in for. Like he wrote the original Independence Day. He had a hand in the second Independence Day, which we don't talk about. Uh, he wrote The Day After Tomorrow. He wrote 2012. Um, yeah. So oh you're God. saying he has a niche? Yeah. And and so it felt like a bunch of those movies all mashed together. But also, like I couldn't shake the feeling. And part of it was, I think that. This also has the same composer for the music as Day After Tomorrow. So a lot of the music reminded me of it, which is a movie that I've seen a bunch of times. <laughs> but 
I, uh, I kept sitting in the theater thinking that this was the movie Roland Emmerich wanted to make when he made Day After Tomorrow, and somebody, like, talked him down. <laughs> they were like, Roland, it can't be this crazy, and he was like, ah, give me, give me another decade, and then I'll come back. <laughs> They're like, Roland, did you, uh, if you consulted anyone who has a basic understanding of science for this? Uh, no, not at all. Yeah. Dean Devlin, his co-writer on uh, Independence Day Resurgence in 2012. I will say, after Independence Day 2, this is his second movie where he demonstrates that he has absolutely no idea like what gravity is or how it works. Christian, so you're telling me that if the moon's closer to Earth, it just doesn't draw people into it? Yeah, it doesn't just lift people up. Like, I don't care how much gravity the moon... Like, I, Well, no, okay, so that's that's wrong. I don't care how close the moon is to Earth. It doesn't have more gravity than the Earth does. Like, I'll I'll buy the water because water is is like a fluid. It, it moves. It could achieve escape velocity. So the tides are fine. I'm okay with that whole section. But the moon, no matter how close it is, it's not going to pull a car off the ground if the car isn't moving. Uh, did you notice how close the moon got to the Earth? To it, like knocked over a mountain. <laughs> Yeah, at the end, it was it was hitting the peaks of mountains in the Rockies. The yeah. Rockies aren't that high. Like it took out some other mountain ranges too. Then if it took out the Rockies, I couldn't figure out where they were for the longest time. And I, I, I'm going to get to that in a little bit. The geography of the whole situation. I mean, they all just go to Aspen. That's like where everyone yeah. in this movie's like, we got to get to Colorado. Which I was, I didn't like. I could, I guess I kind of get the military guys because it's like, oh, we have a. Uh, you know bases deep underground but like the people in yeah, like, la and new york were also like we got to go to aspen yeah like the norad bunker i think is in wyoming somewhere it's it's in the mountains in wyoming but uh okay so well yeah this is a perfect time then to get into this so the military base that they were on was in vandenberg which is like outside los angeles that's where they launch the the shuttle from in this in, in that like takeoff sequence where they fight the gravity wave. Oh, really? Okay, so that's in LA. I assumed it was further inland. Yeah, no. So they they say like I, it took me two watches to get it, but they say that they're in Vandenberg, and I I googled it. It's yeah, it's in Southern California, and then Patrick Wilson's kid and Halle Berry's kid and the the au pair drive to Aspen in that Humvee. I looked it up. That drive is over 15 hours. And they went on all back roads. Yeah, all back roads in a Humvee that like presumably gets like three miles to the gallon. Also, it, and they made it by nightfall, which is crazy. I mean, they're really also underestimating the amount of flats they would have to go through for to Colorado. Like they go, they would have to go through Arizona, I think. Like assuming they're leaving from Southern California. Yeah, they well, yeah, they'd go through Arizona, Nevada, and Utah. They'd be driving basically the entire width of the Great Basin, and it's like twenty minutes after the shuttle takes off. The kids on the phone, and the camera pans around, and you see the Rockies like right on the horizon. That, that's and why. So that's I why they were further inland. I didn't. Yeah, like, I, I figured that they were there in California, like, in Utah somewhere. But that that giant tidal wave had to come from the ocean because Vandenberg is right on the coast. See, that's why I was like, oh, wow. The, like, this is a huge tidal wave. It went over, like, three states. <laughs> Guess not. Like, for a while, I thought they were in the Alps because I thought they were saying, like, Battenberg, Germany. And I was, like, I, I was at home thinking about it after the, the first time I watched it, and I said, did they drive to Colorado from Switzerland? 
I guess I guess being in LA makes sense because isn't that roughly like they found the space shuttle in LA? I think. Yeah, yeah, so they that's where they get driven the it that far. I'm not gonna lie, that was probably my favorite scene in the movie where they're like walking with the shuttle down the road. I thought that looked very cool. Yeah, I, I mean, there's I, I think like this movie's fun. Number one, um, <laughs> totally dumb, but <laughs> fun. I, I also was like when they were talking about, it, I was like, oh my god, they're going to. Like undecommission a space shuttle. I do have actually. I do have one legitimate gripe with this movie. They, uh, they no, actually two. Number one, they were really pushing the Hyundai's or whatever uh, Michael Pena's character was driving when he's like, "Yes, we're boosting," and he puts it on sports mode. <laughs> that was so funny, right? And then the other one is they really name drop Elon Musk one too many times Ooh. in this movie. Yeah, about three times. That was a bummer. Yeah, it's like, you're trying way too hard. This guy just lost 40% of his satellites immediately. I wouldn't be trying to ask him for help. <laughs> Michael Pena, I was excited to see him in this movie. I didn't know he was in it till he appeared, and I was like, oh, hey, look at you. Yeah, him at, like... So let's get into the different genres of this, because I have gripes with the Greenland genre, where it's just like, this is completely unnecessary. What would you say are, like, the five movies this is based off of? Yeah, so Greenland is definitely one of them it, because you get a lot of the like kind of ground level family dynamic during a disaster, and I just don't care about that in a disaster movie. Right, and not and not um, just like shots. Like thirty minutes of the movie is about like these kids trying to get to their parents and then being like survivors being terrible people and stuff. Like it's a chunk yeah. of the movie. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot about the like the redneck oxygen thieves. Yeah. Um so I, I think it's like 2012 because it's like niche, like worldwide, like absolute cataclysm. Like day after tomorrow is worldwide, but it's not like, you know, everything freezes. It's not like they're, the ground is being like torn asunder. Yeah. Whereas in 2012, like the, the earth is being destroyed. And that's what this feels like. Uh, yeah, it's got the Greenland family drama. It's got very Independence Day-esque vibes for me when you start getting into like the alien tech stuff yeah for like, and, like the, oh, the space part when they're trying to hunt it until they go into the moon very independent yeah, state it's like they're we like fly we fly into get the it. mothership yep we gotta and even on the ground a little bit they're, where they're like we gotta get the team together to go up there <laughs> i guess that's more armageddon but and then i it felt a lot like prometheus and like titan ae which is a kind of a niche movie that i don't know that many people have seen but i love it from when i was a kid uh, where you get into like the oh humans were engineered by like older humans who escaped to this world and like the moon is a space station and yeah like oh and the moon created the earth for humans to inhabit like that felt very Titan AE and who yeah we haven't even gotten into that plot yet so the 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 moon is a megastructure built by ancient humans from another planet who were all wiped out by this like AI swarm that they created. And now this AI like wanders the universe looking for like moons that escaped. I, uh, it's, oh boy. It's one of these things where like their plan was to use an EMP. And I was like, Oh, these like extremely advanced humans never thought of an EMP before. <laughs> Yet they build a moon mega right. structure. Like this is your best bet, right? And I mean, listeners to the podcast who haven't seen this movie may be asking, "Well, how do we know about these ancient humans? Like, how how was that information relayed to us?" 
And it's because the inside of the moon still has a functioning computer, and it beams that knowledge into Patrick Wilson's brain. Yeah, it's the good AI. It's the, yeah, it's it's good AI versus evil AI. I have a at a certain Sorry. point, someone earnestly and sincerely delivers the line, "You're part of the moon now." It's the last line in the movie, and I laughed. So hard when I heard <laughs> this movie has uh, some great. My favorite was whenever the moon like was uh, coming over the horizon, which made the gravity lighter. Someone's like, "The moon's rising!" <laughs> like all distraught. It just was so dumb, and it was enormous, yeah. which makes sense because it's so much closer. I also liked when Patrick Wilson's kid got caught under the tree, and the the nanny was like, "Don't worry, the moon's gonna help us lift this." This tree trunk. Oh my god. Christian, what was up with that character when the foreign exchange student was originally introduced? I was like, oh, is Halle Berry a lesbian? Like, who is this? Person? That's what I thought. She was added entirely for the Chinese market, right? Like, that's the only explanation. I, yeah, I don't. I assumed that she was going to be like a love interest for the son, but they don't really get into that at all. Yeah, that was. Like from a, from a, a lot, of, lot of weird extra stuff that didn't need to be in here. It's like she's a foreign exchange student. It's like okay, those exist, but also like would the second in command in NASA be like, yeah, I'm having a foreign exchange student who's kind of a nanny, but not isn't supposed to be like they should have just made it like her daughter or something, you know, like something that made sense. Yeah. Very weird choice. Also, I love that this movie treats NASA as like a secret government organization. <laughs> That, like, has all these... Like, one guy's, like, hiding the fact that the moon's a mega structure. And it, it, this movie reeks so much of conspiracy theory, like, BS. Like, unironically, too. Where it's like, if something doesn't make sense, the line is... You know, what you understand about physics doesn't apply here anymore. Because everything you know is wrong. Like, implying, like, you know, this, that that's was... how this is right. It's just like, oh my god, this is out there. That was scientifically troubling. And there was a couple other things in here that was mm, <laughs> a bit much. But I, I did want to say very quickly, the guy hiding the fact that the moon is a megastructure is Donald Sutherland. Was that really? I didn't know. Yeah. Thing. Like one of, honestly, I think the best actors in the world. And he's in this movie for, I'm going to say, 90 seconds. Yeah. He's in a wheelchair. He rolls out and he's like, Oh, yeah, we found out that the moon was hollow in, like, 1969, and we just kept it a secret. Uh, anyway, I'm gonna go shoot myself. And he, like, rolls back off of, off of set, and I was like, alright, well, we'll come back to him. Nope. You're only Never slightly, to be seen again. You're only slightly exaggerating when he says, I am going to go shoot myself, too. <laughs> like, that's... Yeah! <laughs> That's he's cleaning a, a gun. He has a he has a pistol with one bullet on his desk, and when he leaves, he says, "I have pressing like I have right. pressing matters waiting on my desk." And he like rolls away, and I was like, "Holy crap!" I my favorite like just weird science part of this was when uh, Sam is it Sam from Game of Thrones? I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah, where he's like, "Oh yeah, you know we know this part of science is true for whatever reason. This one's not in question." But the moon's now heavier than we thought, even though it's hollow. Yeah, didn't make any sense. Like, I get the fact that they're trying to say, like, there's a star in there, so we have to compensate for that. But, like, we know how much gravity the moon has. Yeah. And so we know how much mass it has. The fact that that mass is all consolidated at the middle and, like, the inside is hollow does not change any of the math. 
I also like that he, like, one of the, I can't tell if this was an actual justification or not, but he's like, when we went to the moon, they dropped the the fuel tank and the, the moon rang like a bell. You know, solid structures don't do that. And it's like, we then go out later and the moon in this universe has a 20 kilometer thick shell. There's no way them dropping something yeah. would make it ring at 20 kilometers of thickness. Dropping a, yeah, a single fuel tank is going to make that. Oh, God. The other, like, scientifically problematic was, like, right at the beginning when the the moon starts to fall, like, when they start getting the data that, like, oh, no, the orbit's changed, they say that the moon has entered an elliptical orbit, and I said no out loud in the theater. <laughs> like, I'm I'm surprised somebody didn't complain about me from the amount of noise I was making in there, but, like... They would have had to come but, complain to you, like, sir, you have someone making a lot of noise in here. It's happened. <laughs> Somebody came and complained about me and my friends when we were watching a movie and the guy who came in to yell at us saw it was us and then just kind of sat down and hung out. <laughs> um, no, like, the, the moon is in an elliptical orbit right now. All orbits are elliptical. That's just the way orbits work. The word that they were looking for is degrading. The moon has entered a degrading orbit. That would have been that would have been a much more accurate term to use. And it's it's so lazy because it's, like, it's one of those things that, like, 20 seconds of googling would have told you the right word that you're looking for and somebody on the set was just like no i know i'm right <laughs> i also like that only one person figured this out before nasa when i think a lot of people probably follow the moon and would notice like inconsistencies yeah well i'm i can't remember his name I, it might be robert bradley sam from game of thrones is the conspiracy theorist that puts it all together but he doesn't like have his own data he calls some i think somewhere in china like some chinese observatory uh and i think like, it was in south america okay it was like fax me your data and so they send him all the they email him all of the like moon trajectory information and he's like oh my god like there's there would have been a whole staff working at that observatory and nobody looked see that like nothing had changed right it's not like he was in the lab collecting his own data he had to get it from somewhere yeah, and then, like, the news broke with him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like I'm ragging on this movie, and it is bad. Right. right. It's great. <laughs> this is... It was good enough that I watched it two days in a row. I got out of it that first time, and I called my buddy, and I was like, what are you doing tomorrow morning? Because I'm watching this again. This is one of the few disaster movies that I like, because, like, only half of it is a disaster movie, and then the other half is, like, these guys fighting an alien. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm on record being all in on disaster movies. I've it's rare that I find a disaster movie that I was like, no, that one was too much. I think the core, I, the core was too much. I think the weakest part of this movie is like the family surviving portion because I just did not care about that at all. Um, I, I did think it was funny at the end when they land. They also somehow landed in Colorado. Like everyone ended up in Colorado. Oh, of course. And the Chrysler building was there. Yeah, so they got they got pulled up in the gravity swell. Well, uh, a friend of mine pointed out that at the end of this movie, you don't know who survived, like, in the world. Oh, yeah, you definitely... I mean, Michael Pena didn't the, survive, you know that. Well, yeah, and I'm pretty sure Halle Berry's ex-husband is killed because you see the, like, military bunker cave-in yeah. when the moon hits the top of the mountain. But, like... At the end of Day After Tomorrow, you see, like, a whole bunch of people had survived by, like, going down to Mexico to get away from the storm. 
and then you it like pulls out of the camera kind of pans out of New York and you see a bunch of survivors coming in like standing on the roofs waiting for helicopters at the end of this movie you see the astronauts their family and the like two helicopter pilots and that's it yeah you don't have any concept of what like the worldwide devastation was like they as far as you know could be the only people left alive well the helicopter pilot who picked them yeah. up yeah yeah i mean this what a film so christian this movie is not faring too well in the box office uh the budget of this was between 138 and 146 million Box office to date is twenty point eight million dollars, so it's it's oh yeah, it's a huge right bomb, which is a bummer because they kind of like sequel bait it, which was an absolutely bold choice. Wait, what? They, I didn't catch that. What happened for that? Well, because at at the end, uh, you know, Sam's consciousness gets beamed into the operating system of the moon, mm. and his like hallucinatory grandmother come or mother comes and says, "You're part of the moon now." And then she says something like, let's get to work. I see, gotcha. And and he, he tells Patrick Wilson earlier, like, you're the key to the moon's knowledge, which is another <laughs> sincerely delivered line in this, which I think is so funny. Sam, and so, Sam yeah, it, it really felt like they were like, all right, there's going to be a moonfall too. Yeah, Sam and Game of Thrones, like, loved the moon. <laughs> like, a lot. Olympus has moonfallen. Uh, so, I mean, not doing well in the box office. Christian, do you know how this is fair with critics? Oh, it's doing so good. Uh, the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is 38%. The audience score is 69%. With over 1,000 uh, reviews. So, like, yeah, reviewing it. I'm honestly shocked that the audience score is that high. I knew it would be higher than the critic score because no critic in their right mind is going to re- positively review this, but... Like I, I didn't think the audience would like it nearly as much as they did. I, I'm actually with you. I am surprised that this has a 69%. Like, the people seeing this, I think, know it's a, just going to be uh, what it is and are having fun with it because, like, I don't think objectively this is, like, a nearly 70% movie, but I think it's a fun movie. Like, I would recommend our audience check this out just for the disaster that it is. Like, it is a fun, bad movie. Oh, yeah. I had a blast. All right. And then as a quick closeout in movie news, uh, we had covered previously in in kind of varying levels of great detail the saga of MoviePass. And Christian, to to be fair, I was pro MoviePass. You were anti MoviePass. Yes, yeah, so I was just going to say, Eric, being a, a satisfied customer up until the <laughs> business started falling apart. <laughs> until until uh, I wasn't. <laughs> me being a, a terrible, like, begrudging user of it just from the, like, movie theater side, it was such a pain in the butt. But, uh, yeah, they very famously went bankrupt about three times in, like, a week. <laughs> uh, about two years ago. But they're back. They're giving it another shot. So uh, last Saturday, this would have been about... Five days after, or five days before we're recording here, uh, they gave a press conference and said that they're trying to revive it by mid June of 2022 uh, to to bring the app back out with a uh, slightly altered business model. So the the big headline I've seen on this one is, I don't know if you pay for, I, I assume you pay for it, but they're like to use it. You also have to watch ads that they use technology to track your eyes to make sure you actually watch them. 
Yeah, which is crazy to me. Yeah, so do you know what the pricing actually is? Or did they release any of that info? As far as I know, they have not released a subscription fee. It, it had previously been about $10 a month, if I'm remembering correctly. And then they, I think they pumped it up to like 15 as things started to go wrong. So, yeah, yeah, I think if you like at a year pass, it equaled to be like nine between nine and eleven dollars a month. And if you paid like monthly, it was like 12. It was ridiculously cheap. Yeah, which at, at our theater is about the cost of one movie. And if you go to something like New York or Los Angeles, it's got to be like significantly less than the price of one movie. So that should have been the tip off right at the, the jump that this was going to be a failed enterprise. But no, as far as from what I have seen, they have not released if there is going to be a subscription fee or what it would be. I've They just announced that, yeah, you're going to have to watch ads in the app to kind of earn credit that you can then cash in for free movies. And yeah, they're going to be using some sort of facial recognition, eye tracking software to make sure you're not just like hitting play on the ad and walking away. I, I am surprised that MoviePass fell apart, I think, in the summer, into the, like this fall of 2018. I am surprised that there's not like a Fire Festival, like Fire Fest style documentary on this because they burned through millions upon millions of dollars on this. Like there seems to be either someone was defrauded or just a lot of people were dumb with money. Yeah, I mean, from what I understood, it seemed like the business model was like, we're going to set this up and then figure out how we're going to pay for it afterwards. And then like the one idea that they had didn't work and they were like, oh, no. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the plan, as I understood it, was essentially to sell like user data to the studios <laughs> and then they got everything up and running. They got like a million users signed up and they said, all right, we've got all this data. Who wants it? And everybody said, we're good. I, I really hope movie pass comes back in one of two ways. Either they somehow, somehow have their own cryptocurrency involved with it oh God. or, or NFTs. Like just one of the, like there's buzzwords that they, they need and it's just going to crash and burn again. Oh, Eric, they can make the NFT Dune movie that those people bought the book for. Oh my god. Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like to contact us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. Also, we have a website now if you want to check that out. That's gambotsnetwork.com. And finally, if you're listening to somewhere where you can rate and subscribe, we'd appreciate it as that does help with marketing. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.